0: Alex Bryant. I'd say leave me a voicemail, but honestly, I never check them. So, text me.
1: Alex, it's Dr. Novik. Again. Please call me. Your check-in was scheduled for over two hours ago, and after your text last night, I'm becoming concerned. I haven't been able to reach Cassie either. I want to... I need to make sure you're both safe. There are things I should have... just... Call me when you get this.
0: This is Alex Bryant. I'd say leave me a voicemail, but honestly, I never check them, so text me. Hello, Ms. Bryant. I'm calling from St. Albans Medical Center. I see you contacted us a few days ago about one of our patients, a Mr. Colin Marks. Unfortunately, unless your immediate family, um, I'm afraid we can't give out any details about his condition. Can you please confirm your relationship to Mr. Marks? You can call me back at this number anytime between 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. Thank you.
2: Realm presents Memory Lane Season 1, Episode 5.
1: Hey, friends. It's Fred Greenhalgh here, producer and head of audio here at Realm. There's a new show I think you'll be interested in called Ominous Thrill. It's an anthology of character-driven dark fiction, and it's next episode titled Being True, Stuart hits his breaking point and turns to the dark web to order the end of a troublesome client. But the mysterious woman who answers his call proves to have even darker needs of her own. Here's the short preview. You want to know why? I, okay. Because I can't live like this anymore. I need this solved once and for all. Then do this yourself. I have fantasized about that so many times. How it would happen, what it would be like, feel like, I just, I need help, professional help. Ominous Thrill is out now, everywhere you listen.
2: Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time. So there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters and then new chapters are added weekly. So you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective.
0: Lakeshore Diner, California, Oregon border, June 17. I shoulder my way through the busy diner, balancing two coffee cups on a styrofoam tray in my left hand. My phone buzzes, but I ignore it. I know it's Dr. Novick again. I'm pissed at him, almost as pissed as I am at Cassie. Where do they get off, talking about me behind my back, plotting like I'm just some pawn in their game, as if my brain is a toy? I'm done with this study, done with Cassie. As soon as this road trip ends, I'm running as far from her and her denial as I can get. But for the moment considering we're stuck in the same vehicle, and I can't exactly abandon her at a truck stop. Well, she's less impossible when she's caffeinated. We're supposed to have breakfast in this diner, then hike up to a lake where Cassie and her friends rented cabins back in the day. Cassie wants us to spend the night, but being Cassie, she refused to let me call ahead or book a cabin for ourselves. She thinks that would ruin the full experience. Last time, we just showed up, and there were plenty of cabins available. As if life is that easy. At least we have the VW as a backup bed option. Through the window, I notice Cassie's still sunbathing on a towel on the roof of the bus. She's wearing short shorts, and her top is tied just under her bra. It's warmer this morning than it has been for the past few days, but I glance around the diner, embarrassed. Don't get me wrong, I'm body positive, but she's my mom. Then again, the crowd here doesn't seem to mind. A pair of truck drivers stare at her taut stomach from their seat at a window booth without bothering to hide it. The waitress behind the counter catches me watching them and she rolls her eyes. The universal signal for women taking note of men's bullshit. Still balancing the coffee, I brush past them with a glare and head out the door. Here you go. She only rolls over and sticks a hand over the side of the roof, exposing some cleavage. I pass her a cup. Feeling better this morning? A little. I told her I had a headache last night. Anything to get her to leave me alone. I spent the majority of the night pacing around and around our van, and the rest tossing and turning in my bunk. Three nights of terrible sleep are taking their toll. All I could think about was the man I saw in her memories. The way he spoke to Cassie. How he'd said, We need to think need to about think what's about best what's for all three, all three of, us of us now. And then the words that I'd overheard my mother say to Dr. Novick on the phone last night. I was afraid, I was afraid of, what of what he, what might, he do might do if I stuck around. around. Which is the truth? Did I imagine the man entirely? Dr. Novik says memories aren't always accurate, but that seems like more than just misremembering some small detail. What isn't Cassie admitting? Maybe there's a reason she won't tell me about the happy, smiling man who talked about their shared future with hope and excitement. A man I can't imagine walking out on her, on me. And what about the place she mentioned in the memory? Somewhere called Amised or Amisad? I tried to search for it on maps last night, but I couldn't find any results. My mother's body casts a shadow on the pavement. I take a breath, preparing myself for the battle I've been avoiding. I have to broach the topic sometime. So... I lean against the bus. I need to talk to you about something. Did you put creamer in this? Cassie stares suspiciously at the coffee cup. Two, like always. She's leaning over again, and the truckers in the window have started to stare once more. I plaster on a huge fake grin and wave at them. One waves back, tentatively. The other swats his friend's hand, and they both turn back to their food. Hmm, Tastes a bit strong. I raise my head, let it fall back against the bus. Ugh, I'm trying to talk to you. Here it goes. Yesterday, at the amusement park, I had another memory. Cassie falls silent for so long that I actually step away from the bus to peer up at the roof again. She's lying motionless, one arm flung across her eyes. I see. Why didn't you tell me? Because I didn't want to fight. Again. She sighs. Uh, I don't want to fight with you either. That's the opposite of what I hoped this trip would be for us. And yet here we are. I grit my teeth, gather my courage. I heard you last night, telling Dr. Novik I'm delusional. That gets her attention. She bolts upright. I knew you were eavesdropping. That is a huge invasion of privacy. Oh, spare me the lecture. You don't have the moral high ground. Why did you say that? Do you really believe I'm delusional? The diner guys really have a show now. Honey, Remy says the delusions aren't your fault. I don't believe you're seeing these things on purpose. You just think I'm losing my mind. Great! Cassie's expression softens, and she swings a leg over the side of the bus to climb down. Alex! I wipe at my cheek, surprised when my fingertips come away damp. Cassie has finished descending the ladder to ground level. We're standing face to face. Only then do I ask. What's a Her cheeks, flushed with exertion and the heat of the sun, suddenly turn ashen. Where did you hear that name? In the memory. I'm shaken. Whatever reaction I'd expected, it wasn't this. Why? What does it mean? Cassie blinks. Even from here I can see goosebumps on her arms. I I don't know. That's not true. You know what it is. She reaches into the bus for her backpack, her face hardening. No, I don't. I extend an arm to bar her path. And I'm the liar? Just leave it alone, Alex. No, no way. Oh, and in this new memory, you were with that man again. He was being sweet, Cassie. He was touching your belly, and and he seemed excited. Then you said something about getting to Amizaj. Is it a place, or- Stop it. Cassie squeezes her eyes shut, clamps her hands over her ears. Stop what? Stop ruining this for me. Tears rim her eyes. All of a sudden. God, Alex, why can't I be enough? Why can't we be enough? Why do you keep trying to insert him into our story? I'm too stunned to stop her when she storms past me. She heads straight to the trailhead, to the hike we were meant to take together which begins just next to the diner lot. She doesn't wait for me. Charges up it alone. I rub at my temples. Why can't she be enough? Why can't I leave it alone? Look at the mess I made the first time I tried to find my father. The life I ruined. Do I really want to make this any worse? Colin and I met at a restaurant the next time. I'd been excited to hear more stories about Cassie. He seemed excited to meet me, too. On his social media page, he was listed as divorced. I suspected he didn't have many people to talk to. I asked him what Cassie was like.
1: Happiest, sweetest, most entertaining girl on the planet to be around, I'd say. For 90% of the time.
0: I smiled. And the rest? He laughed fondly.
1: The other ten percent, she was an unholy terror. Usually Cassandra was as open-minded as they come. She could make friends with just about anybody and talk their ear off while she was at it. But every now and then, if you hit on one of her sensitive topics, oh,
0: boy, she'd let you know it. Sounds familiar. Colin rested his chin on his hand, watching me.
1: It's funny, isn't it? Sometimes the people who act the most open are the ones hiding the biggest secrets.
0: At the time, I thought it was a clue. I look up. One of the truckers pulls out of the diner's lot. When I turn back to the trail, Cassie's disappeared around the bend. I duck into the bus and grab my own backpack. Pre-packed with snacks, water, a paper map, sunscreen, band-aids, and towels. All the things Cassie likely forgot. I'm doing what I always do, of course. Taking care of her. Making sure she's safe. And maybe she'll want to talk once she cools off. Failing that, I'll tell her I'm done. I'm quitting the study. If she's so eager for that stipend money, maybe that will make her rethink how she's been acting. It will let her know I'm serious. That I'm not going to let her do whatever she wants. She signed us up for this study, but it's my brain too. If she's going to refuse to play by the rules, so will I. At the trailhead stands a sign. Heather Lake Reserve, three miles, it reads. I shoulder my backpack and start up the path, which is overgrown with brambles, jutting roots and bugs. As wild as Cassie can be, outdoorsiness has never been her thing. My hand drifts toward my stem. I haven't used it yet this morning. Maybe that's why I'm feeling jittery. Off. I key in my sequence, wait for the dopamine rush. But even that doesn't completely even me out. Hopefully the exercise will calm me down. Right off the bat, I hit an incline. My breath comes harder, faster, all the while my mind whirls. Why doesn't Cassie want Dr. Novick to believe my version of the memories? It doesn't make sense. If she's so concerned about getting the stipend, wouldn't she want us both to answer all the questions honestly? The way Dr. Novick's always telling me to do? Unless it isn't about the money. I squint. But there's no sign of Cassie ahead of me on the trail, which is only getting steeper and rockier. It doesn't help that I'm wearing my old worn-out Converse. Not exactly ideal shoes for hiking. I skid on the loose rocks and dried leaves. I have to pause to assess my footing. Still, I'm surprised I don't catch up to her. Like I said, Cassie's not exactly the athletic type. Then I think about the yoga class we did. How good she was at it. Almost as if she'd done it a thousand times before. There are sides of Cassie I don't know. I reach for the stem again, pause until my breathing calms, until my feet are steady. Then I start to move once more, faster this time. I make it up one hill. From the crest, I see a faint glitter of something between the trees. As I start down the far slope, though, my foot catches on a root or a branch. I fall, skidding on all fours. My hands sting, and I pull them to my chest brushing away dirt to check for scratches. Just a small one. But there's a bead of blood welling in my palm, and I curse under my breath, squeeze my eyes shut. Then I get a flash. Cassie is kneeling somewhere dark. In front of her, barely visible in the dim light, there's a metal table, like the kind you see in restaurant kitchens. Or morns. There's a figure on the table, Draped in a sheet. A body. I open my mouth to scream. But the moment I do, the normal world floods back in. sun dappled woods. Sweat dripping along my spine. I'm here. Safe.
1: Hey friends, it's Fred Greenhalgh here, producer and head of audio here at Realm. This new show I think you'll be interested in called Ominous Thrill. It's an anthology of character-driven dark fiction. In its next episode, titled Being True, Stuart hits his breaking point and turns to the dark web to order the end of a troublesome client. But the mysterious woman who answers his call proves to have even darker needs of her own. Here's the short preview. You want to know why? I, okay. Because I can't live like this anymore. I need this solved once and for all. And do this yourself? Uh, I have fantasized about that so many times. How it would happen. What it would be like. Feel like. I just... I need help. Professional help. Ominous Thrill is out now, everywhere you listen.
2: Shopify.com
0: slash realm. I stare at the cut on my palm. What the hell was that? But even though I wait, breath held, I don't see anything else. It doesn't feel like the other memories, immersive and powerful. It was just a blip, a glimpse like the disembodied voice I heard in the redwood forest. A hint of a bigger memory that I can't access yet. What was that table? More importantly, who was lying on it? This makes no sense. Dr. Novick told me my mother wouldn't pass along any negative memories. But a dead body is definitely my definition of bad. Even in her flashbacks, Cassie's still keeping secrets. Hiding from me. Unless it wasn't a real memory. Could it be like the flashes I saw at the start of the procedure? The quick wink of water closing over my head? That eye pressed close to mine? I saw a figure lying on a table then, too. The same person? I hit my stem one more time to stop the shaking. Then I struggled to my feet, shoulder my bag, and dust myself off. The sign at the next fork in the road points toward Heather Lake. Two miles. At least I'm closer. I hurry that direction. Unable to shake the feeling, I just saw something I shouldn't have. Something terrible. Whose body was that? I'm so lost in thought that I don't hear the sound until it's nearly on top of me. By the time I recognize it for what it is, it's far too close. It comes from the underbrush, just inches from where I stand. I freeze, holding my breath, not sure what to do. Between the dry leaves, I spot the telltale coiled figure of a snake. It's bright red, striped with white and black, something I've never seen before. Rattlesnake? I take a slow, deep breath trying to decide if I should back away or run past it in an attempt to make it farther up the trail before it strikes. Go slow. A voice calls from somewhere ahead of me. This way. He's not dangerous. I glance up the path. Ahead of me is a woman around my age. She stands with a pair of hiking sticks in her hands, and there's a faint sheen of sweat on her light brown forehead. Her hair is shaved, and a small nose ring twinkles in the sunlight. I look from her to the snake and back again. He sure sounds dangerous. She smiles and a pair of dimples appear on her cheeks. It makes me notice her sharp cheekbones, the angular cut of her jaw. My heart beats faster. Something is off. An alarm goes off inside me. But maybe that's just because of the snake, the creepy memory.
3: He's not what you think.
0: The girl takes a few steps closer as the rattling increases.
3: You see his coloring? The red and black? It's a king snake. They bite, but they're not venomous. And the sound is just its tail vibrating in the dry leaves, look.
0: My eyebrows shoot upward. Kingsnake. Like the roller coaster. Like Cassie's trigger word. But that has to be a coincidence. Still, I look at the snake again with renewed interest. And a healthy dose of fear.
3: Why does he rattle if he isn't a rattler? It's called Batesian mimicry. Kingsnakes imitate rattlesnakes in order to elicit the same fear response in potential predators.
0: She points at me, her smile turning sly.
3: <sighs> Don't worry, he's more scared of you than you are of him. Just inch around him on the far side of the trail, toward me.
0: With one last wary look at the bushes, I creep toward the young woman. A few steps in, I give up on being shy and jog straight at her, my sneakers slipping and sliding on the dry leaves. At least the rattling finally fades. I reach the girl's side and let out a deep sigh of relief. She takes one look at my expression and bursts into (laughs) laughter. I flush in response. Thank you. How do you
3: know so much about snakes? Byproduct of growing up in the middle of nowhere.
0: She sticks out a hand. Peyton. I eye her hand warily for a moment before I take it. Her palm feels surprisingly hot against mine, her hand slim and strong. I release her grip fast, because I don't want to think about why my pulse isn't slowing down, why my gaze keeps jumping to her hourglass figure, the shirt hugging the smooth curve of her waist, or her mouth, still quirked in that infuriating smirk. Thanks for the rescue. I don't offer my name in return. She doesn't press. Maybe she can tell I'm shaken. Or maybe she's just being polite. She takes a small step back, as if to demonstrate she'll give me all the space I want. I appreciate that. The last thing I can handle is flirting with some cute girl, even if she did just rescue me from a non-poisonous, not-a-rattlesnake. I should get going. I drag my gaze from the girl, toward the trail ahead of me. I've got to catch up to my mother. Peyton follows my gaze, in the direction of the sign pointing to Heather Lake. Blonde woman,
3: hiking shorts? Yes, that's her. She passed me a couple
0: minutes ago. She looked a little, um... Peyton hesitates, as if she's searching for a better way to phrase it. In the middle of a massive meltdown, my mouth flattens to a grim line. Yeah, that's definitely her. She winces. Sorry... Is she okay? More or less. Just working through some lifelong avoidance issues and denial problems. But thanks for asking. She'll be okay. She always is, I add, to soften the bitterness. As Peyton runs a hand over the side of her head, her shirt hem hikes up, revealing a smooth expanse of stomach. Her arms are mega-toned, too. She looks like she spends her whole life outdoors, In a healthy, glowing-and-fit way. Pretty much the opposite of me. I realize I'm staring. I should go. But her voice stops me after a couple paces.
3: I live on the other side of the lake, with my mom. If you need anything, let me know. We're the big house with the red sideboards opposite the cabins. Can't miss it.
0: I nod, appreciative of the offer. Though I doubt I'll take her up on it. I can't imagine us staying here very long anyway. Thanks. I'll keep that in mind. The rest of the hike passes uneventfully. Eventually, the trail opens out onto the shore of an enormous, glittering lake. It's so wide, I can barely see across it. It's just a hazy suggestion of hills and trees on the horizon. Closer to hand, there's a narrow stretch of sand leading down into the basin of a lake so clear it looks like it's made of glass. Farther out, as it deepens, the lake turns to a pretty dark blue, sparkling in the late morning sun. Nearby, there's a cute little row of cabins, all with differently colored rooftops and matching white doors, navy blue siding, and short docks extending into the lake. Only one cabin looks occupied— with a boat parked out front and a big 4x4 in the driveway. A curl of smoke drifts upward from its chimney. Definitely not Cassie. I turn away from the cabins to scan the beach itself. Farther along the shore, I spot a figure sprawled on a rock outcropping. Tanning again. Like she doesn't have a care in the world. But it puzzles me. Peyton said Cassie looked mid-meltdown. I pick my way across the shoreline until I'm within earshot. Cassie? My mother doesn't react, doesn't even move. My pulse picks up, and I think about the vision I had. The body on the table. Cassie! I try again. Mom! I sprint toward her. This time, she lifts her head and smiles like a contented cat. It makes me furious. I was worried. In retribution for the scare, I circle around to stand in her sun, my body casting shade across hers. She gestures for me to move. What do you want? I want to finish our conversation. I sink down onto my heels, stretching out my thighs. Did you at least book us a cabin for tonight? Cassie shuts her eyes without responding when her breathing eventually evens out and I realize she's actually gone to sleep. I surge back to my feet. Another scan of the beach reveals a sign for the cabin rentals, along with a phone number to call. Well, at the very least, I can get our housing for the night settled. I'm walking toward the sign when it hits me. The now familiar haze. I barely have enough time to crouch on the ground before the memory sucks me under. This time, Cassie's staring out over the same expanse of water. Only it's nighttime a full moon bright and heavy in the sky. She's wearing nothing but a white shift dress that barely reaches her knees, standing far enough out in the lake for the hem to skim the surface. She's tan, I notice, the kind of deep golden brown that Cassie only gets by the very end of summer. When she wraps her arms around her middle, I'm astonished. She's showing. In all the other memories, her belly was flat. Now the bump is large enough to fit in two cupped hands. Her legs feel numb from the knees down and goosebumps rise on her arms. From the temperature of the air, I'd guess it's fall, maybe late September, but Cassie's road trip was in June. Farther, someone orders, a woman, and her voice sounds so familiar, but I can't make Cassie turn to see who it is. A hand shoves the small of Cassie's back, none too gently. She stumbles forward, her numb feet tripping along the bottom of the rocky lake bed. Her heart slams in her chest, and goosebumps have risen all over her body. Yet she doesn't fight the woman, doesn't try to run to shore. Why? In the distance there are other voices, chanting something, words I don't recognize. Then someone or something, howls. Cassie shivers. The water has reached her waist. The hand returns, grabbing her shoulder hard enough to hurt. Please. My heart wrenches at the sound. I've never heard her like this. The woman wrenches her around and I think, finally, I'm going to see her face. But all I catch is a brief glimpse of other figures on the shore. A whole mob of them, watching and chanting. A few hold flaming torches over their heads, and in the flicker of firelight, their mouths seem wide and furious. There's another howl, a smattering of jeers. Then the woman pushes Cassie backward, underwater. Icy lake water closes over her head. Cassie starts to thrash. Ripples rise from her mouth. Her eyes are wide open, staring, and I'm right down there with her, experiencing the same terror. I can see the shadowy outline of the woman bent over Cassie, holding her down. Cassie struggles, but she can't break free. She's choking. Drowning. She's going to die. My eyes fly open, and I'm kneeling on the sand in broad daylight again, my chest heaving. (gasps) I cough, Wretch, double over and nearly puke from the force of it. She's okay, Cassie's okay, she survived. You're okay too, you're here, but what was that? My body won't stop shaking. When I finally look up again, my mother's still sunbathing on that rock, oblivious. A sudden surge of empathy hits me. Maybe this is what she's been running from, all this time. The terrible thing that happened to her. Someone tried to kill her. But why would Cassie have shared this with me? Did she? Then I realize, there's no way. The memory I've just seen was clearly from months after the road trip. Could it have gotten transferred by mistake? Did Dr. Novik accidentally give me too many memories? The wrong ones? My hand drifts to my own stomach. Flat except for the little pouch I've always had. My heart races, almost as fast as Cassie's in the memory. That woman could have killed us both. Whoever she was, she attacked Cassie and me. The baby inside her. I clench my fists so hard my nails slice at my palms. Whatever happened to my mother, whatever made her the way she is now, this could be the answer. Maybe, just maybe, the secrets I've wanted all along are inside my head now. More than just her happy road trip. Real answers. But the closer to the truth I get, the more it scares me. And what about the other memory? The flash I got earlier, of the body. Whose body was it? I surge back to my feet. I'm going to find out. Negative or not, scarring or not. I'm solving this thing. But first I need to make sure Cassie and I can stay here at Heather Lake. Preferably in the cabins, like last time. Whatever will jar more memories, Awaken the rest of what's locked inside my head. I dig my phone from my pocket and stride over to the sign. Call here to inquire about cabin rentals. The area code seems familiar. A San Francisco number. I don't think much about it. Lifting the phone to my ear. It rings once. Twice. On the third ring, a man's voice answers.
1: Alex! Oh, thank goodness. I've been trying to reach you all day.
0: I'm so stunned that for a few long beats, I can't speak. I just stare at the sign. The lake. The cabins around it. This was supposed to be a random stopping point. A scene from my mother's mysterious past. So why is his phone number hanging on this board here? As if he knew we'd come here. As if he were directing us here all along. Swallowing hard, I force myself to speak. Dr. Novik?
2: You are listening to Memory Lane Season 1. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away.
4: Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, the podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. I bring you two episodes a week. Every Monday, I cover something from a wide variety of topics, covering everything from feminist faves throughout history like Audre Lorde, listener coming out stories, and other hot button topics like toxic masculinity and the Me Too movement as well as plenty feminist history, the good and the controversial. And then every Friday, I bring you a mini What's in the News episode to keep you up to date with everything that's going on today in the world. And with over 580 episodes available to you right now, there's plenty of good stuff to listen to. You can listen to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rage on. Bye.
2: Memory Lane is written by Sarah Shepard and Ellen Goodlett. Produced by Rhoda Bayessa and Haley Wagreich and executive produced by Molly Barton. Performed by Emily Wu Zeller, Leanne Marie Dobbs, Chris Shula, Elliot Schiff, Sheree Wichard, Tiana Camacho, and Kaylin West. Audio produced and directed by Amanda Rose Smith. Sound design and editing by Kaylin West. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Theme music composed by Amanda Rose Smith with digital orchestration by Andrew Rowan and Max Kuttner. Music supervision by Amy Parker.
4: Cover design by Kendall Thomas.